nice thing about God's grace, the nice thing about God's mercy, uh, the beautiful and wonderful thing about the God that we serve is that the hiccups, the mistakes, the, the drop moments where it seems like everything uh, breaks or everything is off kilter, uh, we serve a God who fixes, who repairs, who makes it better than it ever was, and um, who stores treasures even in the most cracked of pots. As this morning's crackpot, I'll be sharing the word with you, and I will thank you. Now you can play an instrument. Uh, I'm going to, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, you know there's a lot on my mind and my heart, and and a lot of weight uh, that I I bring into the pulpit with me today. I pray, Lord God, that you would put that aside, uh, that you would put aside anything that would get in the way of... uh, get in the way of sharing the gospel this morning, sharing the word of God, sharing um, Jesus with the folks who are here. Uh, I pray for your mercy. I pray for your hand in my life, uh, in my heart. Uh, I pray that your spirit would speak instead of me. And when I stumble or find myself lost in the moment, I pray that you would uh, speak for me. And I pray that those who are here who... Um, receive the the word where the seeds land and and find purchase lord god that they would uh, grow into a great harvest and lord god where where the the ground is hard and and the seeds find no purchase i pray that the the um, the duck foot that that the disc would come through and break our hearts up that the rain would come and wash us with your spirit and soften the ground that we might know you more in christ's name amen did the camera give up you are joking. Uh, leave me on uh, just voice and folks can look at slides. Are we okay with that? And we'll burn that bridge down next week before it becomes uh, a future problem. But I, I suspect there are just going to be days that things are not going to seem to work right. And you just got to trust Jesus. Maybe there are folks who would be watching today who would not want to put up with my ugly mug. And... Uh, it's just better for them not to have to. Uh, so when I was a kid, I, like my, my dad and I, my dad is, is uh, a funny mix of my brother and I. Actually, we both took different aspects of his personality. And I'm sure everybody in the room has that, where it's like, oh, I grew up to be like my dad. I grew up to be like my mom. And my brother and I, like, we're on either side of that equation. My brother uh, was an athlete. My dad was an athlete in school. My brother is like sort of the analytical financial mind, and I am uh, I'm what I am. Um, and in the process of growing up, like one of the things I drew off of my father was uh, a love of, of uh, good, good science fiction films. And I remember when I was a kid, I went to see a movie with my, uh, with my dad. I can't remember if it was the whole family or not. It's been so long. I was really young, but it was a 3D movie. Those are the earliest movies I remember seeing in the theater. And like today, kids have it pretty easy because uh, 3D movies are not uh, as bad as they were. Like they've gotten better across the board. The technology is better. Everything is better. And so um, I'm watching this movie, and I think it was, I want to say it was the Ice Pirates or something. It was bad. Uh, But I remember sitting there as a kid, and I kind of got bored. And those old 3D glasses are uncomfortable, Right? Just very uncomfortable. They made a cardboard, not like the plastic fancy ones you pay $12 for today. And they would dig into the back of my ears. And I was really uncomfortable, and I was bored, 
and everything else. And finally, what I did was I took them off and I watched the movie without the 3D glasses. And you know what? It did not improve my cinematic experience in any way. In fact, quite the opposite. It had a like an overt detrimental impact. And I remember the movie. I actually own a copy of it on VHS, uh, and I've not made it through it yet, uh, though it is not in 3D, so that. Um, but I would watch it, and like without those glasses, without the glasses, you don't get to see what's happening because the glasses are like polarized and they sort of meld the image together and they create layers to it. Without it, it's just a mess. Got it? And, and there are times where everything looks like that. Y'all ever get that? Where everything in life is just out of focus and everything in life is a mess. Where you back up and you say, I have no idea what to do with this. And we all end up in different spots and with different options in relation to the mess, right? Um, we've been talking about Mark. I do not have control over the slides, dearest. Uh, so I need you to help me here. And I'm not even sure I have the same slides. So we will see. Uh, we've been talking about Mark and all of this stuff about the parables. Uh, we've been talking about, like, Jesus' opposition, right? And we've been talking about the uh, Jesus went from teaching very plain truth and after he encounters opposition, he goes and he preaches in stories. And as apostles, last week we talked about this text where the apostles come and they say, um, why are you telling these stories? Why are you doing this? Why would you suddenly veil the truth? And Jesus tells them, I'm veiling it on purpose. I am hiding the truth so that those who are hard-hearted, those who are blind, those who cannot see the truth of the gospel those who cannot receive it, those who cannot engage with it, um, so, that, so that they don't see, because they ain't gonna, right? And after he's done explaining this and quoting Isaiah and all this other stuff, um, it comes back, and he turns to the disciples and he said, if you're not going to understand this parable, how can you understand the rest of them? And then he goes on, and he explains a parable, and then he starts telling more parables. It's very likely that Mark gives us a cinematic moment, you know, where Jesus is in the boat, and he tells the parable of the soils, right? Some of you all heard that sermon. It was about eight and a half hours long. And then the deep dive is about 14 and a half hours long. Uh, but, but we looked at how our hard heart or our busyness or our lack of depth or what have you affects how we know Christ, affects how we can engage with Christ. It, affects the fruit that we yield in our lives in terms of the Holy Spirit and so forth. Um, so I'm in an odd spot. As I'm reading Mark, I'm discovering, like I didn't read and study every text. I'm studying them week after week. And so what I'm finding is like each week is a, is a new hint. Each week is a new piece to the puzzle. I am watching a movie and explaining it to you after the fact. Um, and, and I've been lucky so far because I haven't made a huge mistake and had to recant. So, and this is no, no different because the next parable was incredible and is incredible. And I have been a Christian for 30 some odd years and I've never understood it. And so like, I get to share with you something exciting this morning. Um, the sermon title this morning is this little light of mine. And we're going to review a little bit of last week and we're going to dive into this week. Um, before I go forward, the main point here, and I'm going to tell you the big idea. All right. This is this is me revealing all of my cards up front. 
Jesus is the key to knowing God. Got it? Um, There's this joke about Sunday school where every answer to every question in Sunday school is Jesus, right? And sometimes I'll talk to Josh and I'll ask him a question. Like I'll try and talk to him deeply and theologically and try to teach him something. And he's obviously like, like zoned out. Not that he would do that, but I suspect I sometimes am boring. And I'll ask him a question, and he'll turn to me kind of like wide-eyed, and he'll say, uh, Jesus? And it's shocking how often that works. Because Jesus is the lens through which everything makes sense. Everybody with me? The brokenness, the struggle the misunderstanding as to what the scriptures are saying, the struggle that we have to know like that we are clean and new in Christ, that we have value before God, all of it, Jesus is the lens that makes it all work. And that's what this text is going to tell us, okay? It is all about how Christ is everything. He reveals the truth, right? He reveals the character of who God is. Like if you want to know God, You read the scriptures. You want to see God perfectly revealed in the scriptures. You turn to the Gospels and you read about Jesus. Like, because Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God among us at a level where we can look at him and we can talk to him and we can ask questions and we can know him personally. And it is is the best blessing God has ever given the world. And forever and ever, it will always be the best blessing for you as people, for you as brothers and sisters in Christ, for, for you as folks who are maybe not brothers and sisters, who are lost or who are drowning in doubt or whatever it is, like Jesus is the best gift you can receive. And the bottom line of today's message is if you want to know God, if you want to know who, what God is teaching you, if you want to know what the scriptures say, know Jesus. Got it? So like if you're going to fall asleep, now you can. Um, but he is everything um, that, that's involved in knowing him. Those who, in this text, cannot understand or accept the truth, it's because they are stopped from doing so because they refuse to know Christ. They refuse to treat him in terms of who he is as God. They refuse to submit to him. They are incapable. They are seized up. They're blind. Their hearts are baked clay. And so our background, the larger narrative, i got to give you the short version because there's so much to this. I'm astounded. I started reading Mark thinking it was the shortest, easiest, simplest, nothing-to-be-done-here book, and I expected these sermons to be easy, and they are about 100 times harder than anything else. And I'm mad at myself because I haven't studied Mark sooner Um, because there's so much happening. So we have the larger narrative. We have, like, Jesus calls his apostles, and he closes it out with, Everyone who does my father's will is my brother and sister. Got it? And then he turns and he faces all of, like he's faced all this opposition. Everyone who does God's will is my brothers and sisters, meaning the apostles, those who are following him, those who are in Christ, are brothers and sisters of Christ. And then we jump into him telling parables, hiding the message. And the only ones who get a clear interpretation are the ones who come to Jesus and say, can you explain this to me? Why? Because if you're going to watch the 3D movie, you've got to put the glasses on. And so if you're going to understand Christ, if you're going to understand your circumstances, and sometimes circumstances, we don't get to understand them. 
But in those instances, even then, we put on the glasses. We look at it and we say, Christ loves me. Christ loves me enough to die for me. Christ loves me enough to carry my sin for me. And Christ will make it right. I am in his hands. It is his will. There it is. Um, And so Jesus explains the parable of the soils, which is all about hard soil and rocky soil and weeds and good growth and everything else. And, and like that message is, look, where your heart is, whether or not you are submitted to Christ, whether or not your heart is softened enough to make Christ the priority, is the determiner of whether or not you will yield good harvest, whether or not things will grow in you. Last week, we touched on the idea of the hidden message, which is the parables. Everything is hidden. Right, And so he's preaching, he's teaching, and everything is hidden, and nobody understands. We talked about how it's kind of a prophetic judgment on the Pharisees and those who are opposing Christ. We talked about all of that. It was fun and exciting. And we talked about the Messianic secret. What is the Messianic secret? It is the secret. It is the secret that the kingdom of God had come to earth, and they were standing next to it. That Jesus himself was God made flesh. That he was there. Through him, all things were created. Through him, nothing was created, or nothing was created that was not created through him. He is the, like every time you read in the Old Testament, the Son of God, or the Angel of the Lord. It is a reference to Jesus showing up as God amongst the people. When we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, right? And there's another man with them. Who was it? It was Jesus. In the same way as when we walk through fire, Christ walks with us. But we can choose not to, and we'll get to that a little later. The big messianic secret in Mark is that Jesus is God. That's it. So let's get into our text. First key idea, hard-heartedness. Hard-heartedness? Man, I am in trouble. Hard-heartedness makes us unwilling to submit to Christ, and it blinds us from real understanding. We are unable to see the truth if our hearts are hard. If we seize up and block, we just can't. It's like your kids. Right? When they close their eyes and they refuse to see you and they cover their ears and refuse to hear you, I just saw at least two parents look at their kids and that makes me smile. Uh, that is us and Jesus, right? There are times where we will close our eyes and cover our ears and I don't want to hear it. I want to do what I want to do, right? But in reality, that didn't work. And you're still there. And in the same way, like Christ was still there, God is still there, Christ is still calling on you. All of this stuff. We're going to go through our mark uh, earlier last week. We just got to touch on it because the context here makes the next half of it work. And the deep dive is going to have a ton of stuff. There's no way. There's so much awesome stuff in this text. I can't do it. Uh, And I I had to make a lot of hard choices in writing the sermon. And hopefully they were right. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God, who is Jesus, right? has been given to you. What's been given to them? Jesus has been given to them. He is there. The secret of the kingdom, like it's there. Nobody sees it. But to those who are outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, and otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Meaning they're hard-hearted. They cannot hear the truth. They did not get 3D glasses on the way into the show, on the way into church. If I had 3D glasses to give you, I would have. I actually thought of that this morning. I was like, man, if only. Uh, But I ain't got it. Sorry. Uh, This was a last-minute illustration. I could not figure out how to talk about this. 
Um, so the second big idea here is the apostles gained understanding directly from Christ, meaning that they're with him. They're hearing the parables. They don't understand them. So they ask, what? You can just ask and figure stuff out. It's amazing. By the way, I don't recommend asking Google. I know most people ask Google. I sometimes ask Google still. Um, but you know what? Google, like, as powerful as it is, like, if you ask Google spiritual questions, sometimes it gives you stupid answers. And honestly, a connection you get from another brother or sister when you walk up to him, you say, can you explain this to me and help me grow in this? Like, that's the real point. Knowing lots of facts is one thing. Being a part of the body of Christ and growing in Christ with your brothers and sisters, that's it, right? I, I've forgotten a million facts in my life. I will never forget the men and women who have influenced me to grow to be the man that I am on Christ's behalf. Um, so the apostles, they gain understanding directly from Jesus. Verse 13, and then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? Meaning, I'm going to explain it to you. That's how you'll understand. And so when we come to a spot where we don't know the truth, how do we come up with the answer? Well, we pray about it. What? I can ask Jesus and he might help me understand? The heck you say? And I've had a million little moments in my life where I'm reading a scripture and all of a sudden everything comes into focus. And I'm like, wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Should have put the 3D glasses on hours ago, right? So, Jesus explains the parable and then he tells the parable of the lamp. Up front, I'm going to tell you, this verse is hard in English. It is hard in English. Because English and ancient Greek are not the same language. And they don't work the same way. It's like trying to talk to a teenager, right? If you don't know how to talk to a teenager, they'll say no cap to you. And I don't even know what that means. So that I don't have a hat or I forgot to put, I actually threw away the lid for the barbecue sauce last night. I, I grilled chicken and I threw away the lid and I left that barbecue sauce on the counter with no lid. And I'm pretty sure that's what no cap means. Right, teenagers? That's it. <laughs> I got one saying yes, one saying no, which is about as clear. And I mean, like, you can't talk to them in their language, you gotta, like, unless you know it. And so as we look at this text, understand, understand, this is in Greek, not the same in English. Because the English version of this sentence doesn't make sense. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its lampstand? And actually, I believe the word is lampstand, not stand. Watch this. So watch this. And he said to them, does the lamp come to be put under a bowl or a bed? But that doesn't make sense. You know why? Because lamps don't come anywhere. Right? They don't. They don't wander around. I, I, I have things in my house that move on their own and have had a habit of doing so since teenagers and children were around. They move things. Or since I got married where my wife will move things to places I can't find them. Like, like, but lamps don't move on their own. Unless there's something else going on here. If you go into the Old Testament... We see lamps referenced in some interesting ways over and over and over again. And I walked out of the frame. Let me sit right here. 
I have seen, all right, so you go into the Old Testament, you'll find lamps referenced in a bunch of different ways. We're not going to dig into all of those today. That'll be deep dive on Wednesday if you're curious. One of the most famous, of course, is thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's Psalm 119. We also see where God tells David, I have prepared a lamp for you and your descendants. What's that referring to? Well, it's referring to the Messiah. We see God referred to as a lamp. We see God as the bringer of light. We see Jesus even stand up and say, I am the light of the world. Because when Jesus says, does the lamp come to be put under a bowl or under a bed? He's saying, I didn't come to hide. I came to bring light. What do you have a lamp for? Bring light, right? I was sitting in a concert the other day. And I do love me some school concerts, but I did have a book with me. And because of my ADHD, I found myself opening that book and looking at how the indexes were put together to see if I was going to be able to find the information I wanted or if I was going to have to actually read the whole book. And it was really hard because there was, there was music going on, which was very soothing and I could focus, but I, uh, they refused to turn the lights on for me. And when I turned my phone on and hit the flashlight button, some people looked at me annoyed. You know why? Because I was being a jerk. But you can't read the book without a light. You can't. Christ is the light. He is the lamp. He has come into the world to shine a light on everything to make it all make sense. To make it all click. So when you look and say, why has everything fallen apart today? We can look around us and say, you know, we live in a broken world. And Christ came to fix it. What is God doing? Does God love me? God loves you no matter what. When you were an enemy, when you were in your sin, when you were dead in your sin, Christ came to die for you, to resurrect you in him. That is the light. That is the truth. That is what the Gospels are about. And when you read the Gospels, you can always come back and give the Sunday school answer. Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the lamp. In this story, Jesus is the lamp. Do you put it under a bowl or a bed? No, you put it on a stand, which is really crazy because Jesus is saying, hey, I came to hide the truth from those who are in judgment. But the light has to be put up high so everyone can see it. Well, what the what? How do I balance that? He'll get to it. Next slide. The hiddenness of the glory of God in Christ is meant to be revealed in salvation, specifically through knowing him. This is why the apostles sought him to reveal the parable. Now watch this. There are times my wife knows what I am thinking. Right? She can't. I'm not sure she could tell you why. There are just times she knows. You know why? She's been married for 25 years, and she knows me. She knows me better than I know me. I often will go to restaurants with her and say, hey, can you pick something? You know why? Because I'll always pick the same thing. But if she orders for me, she'll find something I want to eat. Is that a thing she could study in a book? Absolutely not. She knows me. If I know Christ, if I am intimate and close and, and have him drawn into me in any given moment where I struggle, where I stumble, where I wrestle, where I'm afraid, where I doubt, where I weep, anything, I can come back and say, I know Christ. And that is that's 3D glasses, right? I've got to put them on or it's all going to look like a mess. And I can ask him. I can come back and ask him. I can come back and ask him over and over and over again. 22 and 23, please. 
For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. There's that line again, right? Why does he say that? Well, he's echoing Isaiah in a little way, a little bit of a sideways echo. But he's saying, if you have ears and you're capable of hearing, understand what I'm saying. Listen. Read into this. Find the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that, like, though Christ is hidden to those who are hard-hearted, those who are, have their eyes closed, can't see him, those who have their car stereo turned up so loud they can't hear the rattling that's coming from underneath the car. You all ever do that where, like, the car starts making noises? And so what do you do? You turn the radio up. <laughs> I fixed it. Um, my wife hates that. Uh, those who have no intention of hearing won't hear it. But those who can hear, they're going to hear. And so what is hidden is meant to be disclosed, meaning if I bought my kids gifts, presents, and they are wrapped in a nice box. My wife, actually, my brother, son, Titus, is waiting for this new book to show up. And he was waiting for like two months because we ordered it before it came out. And he kept asking, is it today? Is it today? Is it today? And you know what? It wasn't today. And then it was, is it next week? Yes, Titus, next Tuesday it will show up. And then... On Sunday, he asked, is it two more days? Yes, Titus, it's two more days. And then on Tuesday morning, I looked at the package tracker, uh, and it was like somewhere else, somewhere not nearby. And I said, Titus, I don't think it's coming today because it's not anywhere nearby. And then we got a box in the mail. My wife opened it and immediately closed it and taped it shut again because it was the book. And the joy of opening that box and finding his book was something she wanted him to get to do. She... Sorry. Because sometimes, 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 opening the box and finding the truth is the best thing in the world. Sometimes opening the wrapped gift on Christmas morning is the best thing in the world. Right? Sometimes discovering your children are precious and amazing in and of themselves and discovering the little like sparkling bits in their lives It's the best thing in the world. In the same way, seeking Christ, chewing, considering, asking, and then finding is the best thing in the world. Um, Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out. Why is it meant to be brought out? So that you can see what it is. Why is Christ concealed? Well, for part of it, it's because everybody's hard-hearted, right? You know, all these people who are opposed to him, they want things their way, and that's why Christ had to come and save us, right? Like there's that saying uh, that I've heard a million times, the only thing I brought to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. That's it. And my sin keeps me from seeing. Sometimes God breaks the ground, sometimes he lets me sit in it until I'm miserable. Um, so why is there a secret at all? Why is what is hidden meant to be hidden until it's time to reveal it? First off, because Christ is the secret. We've said that a couple times. I'm saying it again for context. Christ is the secret in this story. Um, Christ is the secret in the Gospels. Christ is God revealed. Um, he was the perfect revelation of God. He was also hidden like to fulfill God's purpose, meaning if they knew God was there, they would not have reacted the way that he did. Nobody would have crucified him if they knew he was God. Right? Like he comes down with legions of angels. Nobody's crucifying that guy. Right? His entourage. It's like he's tougher than his own entourage. 
but his entourage is there and tougher than him, like, like tougher than us, right? Like he's got, he's, he's Jesus, you can't kill that guy. But if he didn't hide it, he wouldn't have been killed. If he hadn't been killed, then he wouldn't have been raised. If he hadn't been raised, then death would still have its sting, and I would still be dead in my sins. I would have no one to pay for the, for the wickedness that I do. God fulfills his purpose in that hiddenness. And that's why sometimes, sometimes everything is awful and you wait for God to do something and you ask, where are you? Because sometimes his purpose is fulfilled in his silence. That's hard. No amen? I figured I'd get an amen. I know at least one or two of you guys are in that spot. Second, and this is a quote from a commentary actually, the very humanness of Jesus governs the glory of God from overwhelming and blinding the world and invites people to discover the kingdom by experience. The rather baffling activity of God in Jesus is like hide and seek. Only that which is first hidden can be found. So if you look at the Old Testament, I can't even, I'm not sure if I can stand up. Uh, If you look at the Old Testament, if you dive into the text of the Old Testament, you look at God talking to people. Like last week, we looked at Isaiah. Isaiah, like God shows up. And what does Isaiah said? Say, oh man, I'm in trouble. I'm a man of unclean lips. From a people of unclean lips, I'm undone. I've seen God. We see where Moses says, let me see your glory. And God says, I'm going to tuck you in this rock and you can look out once I pass by and you can see my glory from a distance and from behind because to see anything else would be to destroy you. And there it was. When God spoke in the Old Testament, the earth shook. When God appeared to Moses, he glowed like a light bulb or like Rudolph's brighter cousin, right? And he had to cover himself so people wouldn't stare at him constantly. Our sin creates a gap between us and God that is insurmountable. We cannot climb up to him because he is so holy he would consume us. Instead, he comes down as Christ and his glory is hidden, veiled behind the curtain of his flesh. Like the curtain in the temple, right? It's hidden. It's amazing. Because once you discover who he is, having been able to approach him as he is, we can know him. Once you discover that he is God and those 3D glasses go on and you can see the truth and everything fits together, it's amazing. It's beautiful. But without the flesh, we can't see him. We're blinded by the light of God's glory. With the flesh on our level, we can know him. He can talk to prostitutes, right? He can eat with tax collectors. He can eat with drunks, thieves, liars, adulterers, perverts, whatever. God walked up to those people who he died for, who he would be pierced for, who he would be tortured for. That is the glory of the hiddenness of Christ. And then the other half of it is so we can find it. The master key for understanding the scriptures, the master key for understanding the parables, what he's telling them, right, is the lamp. Turn the light on, put the 3D glasses on, understand because it is Christ that reveals the truth. The lamp did not come to be hidden, but to reveal the truth. But for those who can't see it, they won't. It's hidden. 
ultimately, like, Christ is the key to everything. Christ is the key to understanding the word. Christ is the key to growing spiritually. Christ is the key to overcoming our addictions, to, to forgiving the unforgivable, to everything. You name it, Christ is at the center of it all. And that's all there is. He is the master key. Last key idea. Knowing Christ and pursuing him results in more of him. As John the Baptist say, said, like, I must decrease so that he can increase. Right? John the Baptist was adored by crowds. And in the end, people came to him and said, hey, John, Jesus is stealing your thunder. And he's like, are you kidding? That's what I want. Less of me, more of him. In terms of my life, less of me, more of him. Mark 4, 24 to 25, our last verse. Consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. So we're going to pause here. Can't get into it too deep, but this is awesome. This is awesome. Because it is a kitchen phrase. This is the thing that Jewish moms and housewives would say to each other when they were cooking. It is a phrase that means whatever you measure out for other people will be measured out for you and then a little bit more. Isn't that crazy? But it also means if you're going to judge other people, understand that they're going to turn that lens on you. If you're going to look at the world in a certain way, the way you look at the world is going to be brought back on you. Make sure you pick the, light, the right lens because if you pick the wrong one, you're in trouble, right? Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. Um, this is a variation on another Jewish phrase, meaning when the cup is full, basically, even more will be put into it. If the cup is empty, even more will be taken out of it. What's the idea here? Well, if Jesus is the lamp, Jesus is the measure by which I look at the world. Jesus is the lens through which I interpret everything, brokenness, hurt, emptiness, like shame, all of it. If I don't interpret it through Christ, if I interpret it through a human, earthly lens, if I look at my own sin and my first reaction is, that guy's worse, let me tell you why, I'm an empty vessel. And even the spiritual perception that I have will be taken from me. But if I look at my own sin and I say, Christ died for that, and I look at the guy next to me, I say, Christ died for him too, then I'll get more of Jesus. If I seek Jesus to reveal things, to be the lens that I look at the world through, you know what I'm going to get? More Jesus. If I lose everything I have, but I still have Christ, then I have everything I could possibly need. If I lose Christ and gain the world, I have nothing. Because everything we're about, brothers and sisters, everything we're about, friends, everything, it's not entertainment, it's not the nice music, it's not us streaming the perfect stream as much as I want to do that. It's not any of this stuff, it's Christ. Without him, you got nothing. And sometimes that stuff will be taken from you and you'll end up so empty and so at the bottom of the cup so at the bottom of the barrel, so at the rock bottom in life. Just turn around and cry out for him. That's what we need. That's what you need. That's what I need every day when I, when I hear bad news and I say, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I need Jesus. That's it.
when I struggle with my sin, when I feel less than, when I feel rotten and unredeemable, I need Christ. When I look at those around me and I see they're drowning and I want to fix it, I need Christ. That's it. That's all. Nothing else. Nothing else will save us. Nothing else will soften our hearts. Nothing else will give meaning. Nothing else will make it all make sense. Nothing else will give us truth. We need Christ. How do you do that? So, like, application-wise, I did not, I had a slide for it. I was going to add to it. Uh, Circumstances kept me from doing so today. Uh, And so how do you apply this? I'm going to tell you, the best way to apply it is to chase after Jesus. Right? When my wife and I uh, met on the Internet, uh, like when the Internet was still two cans and strings tied together, right? Uh, when we met on the Internet, I, I, uh, I didn't like her very much. It's the truth. I didn't. I did not. But she talked to me a lot. And she wouldn't leave me alone. And I kept talking to her. And I was okay with her after a certain point, but I was not interested in her. And then one day she asked me to talk to her on the phone. And I said, no. And then she asked me again. I said, well, I'll pray about it, but the answer is no. And I prayed about it. And I had no way around it. I had to talk to her on the phone because I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. I don't advise going by feelings to figure out God's will. He gives us his word. He gives us all kinds of things. This is not, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. It's a terrible way to do things. But I prayed, and I talked to her on the phone. And by the time I got off the phone with her, I was crazy about her. She was moving back from college to home, and she said, can you come out and see me? And I said, no. And then I prayed about it, and in no uncertain terms, God made me do it. (laughs) And I walked away from meeting her, and I said, I'm going to marry that girl. That's it. This is what God wants. Great story. Ask me at a time that is not right now. Every time I sought Christ... He gave me directions. And as I got to know my wife, my future wife, more, I wanted to know more. I wanted to ask her about how she grew up. I wanted to ask her about her third grade teacher. I wanted to ask her about why French horn and not trumpet. Why a brass instrument and not a reed instrument. If you ask her, she'll tell you. Believe me. (laughs) I wanted to know everything that had to do with her. You know why? Because I was crazy about her. I was crazy about her. The same is true of us in Christ. If you want to know Jesus, you want your life to become this, you want to have eyes that see the way Christ sees, that sees like like instinctively from Christ's perspective, you've got to chase him. How do you chase Jesus? Well, you pray. Oh, my gosh. I'll do a teaching this week on how to pray for a long time. You ever have trouble praying for more than two minutes? I... I, it just is what it is. I'll do a teaching on it. It'd be fun. It'll be on the Facebook page. But you pray. You talk to Jesus. You talk to him about everything. You study. You read. You ask questions. You find brothers and sisters who know Christ, and you stand near them. You know why? Because they'll start to look like Jesus as they know Christ more. And it'll rub off on you. Did you know that people who are overweight tend to associate with overweight people? I'm not saying that to be offensive. People who are in debt tend to associate with people who are in debt. People who smoke almost always hang out with people who smoke. Um, we are people who become like those around us. And part of the trick is you've got to be around Jesus in order to become like Jesus. The body of Christ, the church. This is first. 
Second, I'm going to tell you, you got to dig out the stuff that don't belong. That's, it's there. Like, it's there. I was jealous about something a little while ago. Just angry jealous. I had to pray about it, and I had to confess it, and I had to get rid of it. That was it. It was embarrassing, actually, because it was stupid. If I find that anything is a sin, it's better to cut off my right hand than to go, you know, and go into heaven without it than to, to live with the right hand in hell, um, as Christ said. It's an analogy, don't cut your hands off. Um, the idea being that nothing is more precious than knowing Christ, right? Nothing. If something's in the way, you need to go around it. You need to go over it. You need to take it out of your life. You've got to figure out how to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus is everything. Being like Jesus is everything. He is the lamp, and without him, we're in the dark. Let's pray. My challenge to you today is come talk to me. If you've got a sin, you've got a struggle, come talk to me. You've got a bitterness, you've got a resentment, come talk to me. Come talk to John. Come talk to Adam. Come talk to one of the guys who knows Christ, who walks with him. Talk to Mr. Glenn over there. And, and he's more spiritual than any of us, I'm pretty sure. Uh, talk, to, talk to people who can help you hear your confession and help you overcome it. You find yourself gossiping, cut it out. Judging, look at your own sin more. Cut it out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I suspect this sermon didn't go the way I planned it. And I suspect that my own... Uh, cloudiness and my own tendency to joke too much and my tendency to to sidetrack and my tendency to um, make the complicated or simple complicated lord uh I, I suspect that that stuff all gets in the way every time but lord god i pray that if anybody here heard the gospel heard that christ died for them heard that christ in them through them is the key to living for you to becoming who you intend us to be I pray that that seed would grow. I pray that it would grow into something great, Lord God, and that as we walk today, as we walk tomorrow, as we look at our lives, as we look at the Word, as we look at our struggles, as we look at the brokenness that we're going to encounter, Lord God, that we would look at it through the lens of Christ in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good Sunday, folks.